0: Didn't realize in good time that it's actually climate change that was affecting us. And by the time I realized it, it just made perfect sense to me.
1: Welcome to this new climate, an acclimatized podcast about the innovations that could transform our world as we enter a new era of climate instability. You just heard from Osoloa Suomimo, founder of Ope Farms, touching on her experience with farming alongside a changing climate. In this episode, we take a look at how the risks of climate change are being disproportionately shouldered by smallholder farmers and present a project that has helped farmers in Tanzania to share the cost of climate change more evenly across the supply chain. Hello, my name is Will Bugler and you are listening to This New Climate. Our first series is all about the quest for deep innovation in response to the challenge of climate change. Across the series, we feature five programmes that are supported by the European Institute of Innovation and Technology's Climate Kick Initiative, a knowledge and innovation community committed to delivering the transformative change needed to tackle climate change. In this, the final episode in the series, we're looking at how an online tool called Winners offers risk management services that can help build resilient supply chains, from the smallholder to the global retailer. Climate change and extreme weather events cause significant damage to global food production and disrupt supply chain operations, with smallholders typically enduring the most risks. To counteract this, a team of academics and climate scientists have partnered with insurance industry experts and global food buyers to build products and services that share risk more efficiently and equitably across all supply chain actors, resulting in more sustainable food production and improved market access. The question is, can everyone really be a winner when climate risk is shared? Now let's go back and see what Olisola has to say.
0: We sometimes have seed abortion. You plant the seed, you put in everything that the seed needs to germinate. You have put the right soil, the right nutrient and all of that, and the seed just aborts and they don't grow. And then, of course, the rainfall pattern has drastically changed. I follow the weather on the farm, and then I realize that it just doesn't rain. Or maybe it's just a little drizzle. And it's getting worse, to the point where we now endeavour to note down the days when it rains, and it seems they're getting fewer than before.
1: Olisola's interest in farming started at a young age. Raised by parents who are keen gardeners, she's always valued high-quality fresh produce. In 2014, Olisola purchased a plot of land and established Ope Farms, becoming one of the few organic vegetable producers in Nigeria.
0: I live in Lagos State, and my farm is in Ogu State. But because of the expressway, I travel to the farm. I go Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Friday is normally a, a very busy day because we deliver to customers. The farm itself is on about 50 acres of land, and we grow quite a number of tree crops, fruits especially, And then we grow quite a number of our own indigenous vegetables. As I mentioned some of their names, you probably wouldn't even know them. But, of course, we also grow some of the ones, the salad vegetables. They're called exotic vegetables in Nigeria. And it's amazing that we do cucumbers, we do beetroots, we do kale, and so many herbs like basil, the Mexican mint. Oregano, aloe vera.
1: Producing high-quality fresh produce leaves Ope farms exposed to the impacts of climate change, especially changing rainfall patterns.
0: Let me make a confession. First of all, I didn't realise in good time that it's actually climate change that was affecting us. And by the time I realised it, it just made perfect sense to me. For instance, the heat can be quite intolerable. In fact, we have, take for instance, um, a vegetable like kale. Now, the preference in the two top markets that um, we deal with, the preference is for the curly kale. You know, the curly kale that really curls up nicely. But what we find out is because of the heat, sometimes, you might just find a few that will curl. When we bought the farmland, we had this lovely river with very nice clear water right at the boundary, at the back. And the villagers told us that, oh, when the rains come, the river is always so high up, you have to be very careful to be sure that um, you know the boundary of the river. This year will be five years. I have never seen that river go up to any uh, level where I consider it a lot. In fact, about three years ago, it completely dried up. It just completely dried up and there was no water there at all.
1: Reduced rainfall and increased heat intensity has serious implications for life on the farm. And it's more than just about the impact on the produce itself.
0: Of course, even the workers, we've had to buy sun hats. That didn't used to happen before because they go, once the sun is out, they take a break. We then realize that the, the number of hours that the sun is out was getting a bit longer. And of course, the longer they stay off work, it reduces the output for the day. So we've had to buy some sun hats for the workers to wear so that they can still work even though the sun is out. But we always advise that they drink water and if anybody feels completely unable to work we tell them to take a break and go and sit down until the sun is down so they, we have a little shed which the workers themselves built and you can always just go there no questions asked you just go there and sit down until when you feel that you can tolerate the heat
1: as well as hats Ope Farms has had to invest in many other adaptation measures in an effort to maintain the quality of its production in the face of heat stress.
0: The reservoirs are definitely a win-win for us because the reservoirs, it means we can store water either from the borehole or when it rains, we're able to collect um, rainwater. Even though the the rainfall is not that high, but being able to collect the water and um, having the reservoirs to store the extra water for us is a win-win. Also, we grow trees, and we've been increasing the number of trees that we grow. Then we also ensure that some of the seeds that we're buying, we're consciously looking for heat-tolerant seeds so that at least we meet each other halfway. If the heat is there and the seed can take a bit of the bashing, then, of course, it's easier for us. And then we mulch. Because of the heat, uh, watering is a bit unique. When you water, ordinarily, before, you could water in the morning and not have to water in the evening. But because of the intensity of the heat, we found out that sometimes you water and within two, three hours, it's all evaporated and it's looking like nothing was done there.
1: Lower worker productivity Digging boreholes, tree planting, extra mulching, purchasing drought-tolerant seeds. All this comes at significant cost, and all of which is borne directly by the farmer themselves.
0: There is no no buffer anywhere. <laughs> we fully bait ourselves. It's quite a big one for us, because um, it's not like a thief uh, where I wash with money, so... You find out that the best you can do is plough back. So when we sell, we just plough back everything back into the business to ensure that we can make those changes that are fundamental to increasing our production and giving us a lead in the market, so to say.
1: With the additional costs of production caused by climate change, it would make sense for farmers to simply increase their prices to reflect this. However... Smallholders are often not in the position to do this. They're price takers, not setters.
0: Right now, it's just a matter of demand and supply that uh, dictates the price. And yes, climate change is making this a bit more difficult. The open market is unique in the sense that if I can produce even a ton of any particular produce, I would sell it there. I would sell it right there and go home with my money. Unfortunately, we do not have a say in the price. So if it's a day when many other people bring the same thing to the market, then I'm going to be paid far less because it's purely on demand and supply.
1: So then, smallholder farmers are some of the most vulnerable groups to climate change. They're largely dependent on rain-fed agriculture, cultivation of marginal areas and lack access to technical or financial support that could help them invest in more climate-resilient agricultural practices. But despite this, they're vitally important to sustaining global food supplies. In fact, around 80% of the farmland in sub-Saharan Africa and Asia is managed by smallholders, working on up to 10 hectares of land, according to the UN. You may think that large food companies buy from industrial scale mega farms, but in reality, smallholder farmers are still vital to sustaining the global food supply. In fact, recent studies estimate that farms under 2 hectares produce around a third of food production on 24% of the agricultural land. Farms under 10 hectares produce over half of the world's food. So where do smallholder farmers fit in global food supply chains? Well, Multinational companies producing food products buy from smallholder farmers for several reasons.
2: Often it's a question of availability. The commodity may only be grown by smallholders, and if you want to buy a certain amount of it in a certain location, you have to rely on smallholder farmers because there are no commercial farmers around that actually grow this commodity. So that's, for example, the
1: case with cocoa in West Africa. That's Christoph Walter, an agri-supply chain expert working with multinational companies in the branded goods, retail, and financial industries. He's worked on agri-sourcing globally, covering a wide range of arable, perennial, and wild-harvested crops. Another reason for companies purchasing from smallholders, he explains, is that they can sometimes provide superior quality of produce.
2: So that's the case in Kenya and Tanzania where, for example, tea is grown by smallholders, but the smallholders harvest a smaller and finer part of the tea bush than do the larger estates, and therefore the quality of the smallholder tea
1: is often superior. Finally, smallholder farmers can also sometimes produce certain products more cheaply. But engaging with smallholders throws up some important challenges for companies, requiring large quantities of product. One is
2: aggregation. So getting the raw material from lots of small producers aggregated into larger amounts that are actually then bought and fed into the company, often they need to be transported. And there, there is a, an aggregation, a physical aggregation function that has to take place and that can happen through intermediaries or traders or cooperatives or combinations of those. Uh, there is an element of organisation and coordination. So farmers need to be organized in that they plant the right varieties at the right time, that they harvest at the right time, deliver at the right time. There is a quality assurance function. Um, Traceability and quality assurance is often a big issue because you don't really know where small amounts of produce come from, uh, how they were grown,
1: what they might be contaminated with. These and other issues related to dealing with so many farmers has meant that traditionally supply chains are characterised by large companies on one side buying from a set of traders or cooperatives who in turn buy from as many smallholder farmers as possible so that they can guarantee continuity of supply. In this case, the only real relationship lies between the trader and the end buyer. So as long as the trader has enough crops to meet the demands of the end buyer, it doesn't matter how many farmers he buys his crops from. This puts the farmer in a very weak position. Due to the power imbalance of this model, farmers are often also forced to try and increase their output, usually by inputting things like artificial fertilisers. However, this can also lead to unintended consequences, as Christoph explains.
2: There is a
1: thing that's called the commodity trap, and that's to do with,
2: well, that's quite relevant actually to a lot of our, our tropical commodities like cocoa, coffee, cotton to a certain extent, where... Smallholder farmers are effectively price takers. They have no influence over price formation because they are, have no market power. They're usually poorly organized, and they face relatively large buyers, and, and they often haven't got any, any information about the market price either. So, smallholders are often, usually they're price takers. That means the only way of increasing their income is to grow more, to increase yields. And that's what they do. grow more, or they try to grow more. By growing more, there is more supply on the world market and that drives down prices. So the response is to grow more, prices drop, farmers can only adjust by growing more. And that's happened over decades in key commodities like coffee, uh, like cashew, like rubber, which are big smallholder crops,
1: cash crops for smallholders. For a smallholder to create a stable and sustainable income from their crops, they need to agree on long-term deals with buyers. However, the impact of adverse weather conditions, such as drought, storms, floods and earthquakes, exacerbated by climate change, means that not only does the immediate crop yield suffer, but every yield thereafter. Smallholders, particularly in sub-Saharan Africa, therefore live in a very precarious cycle. The impacts of previous harsh weather conditions reduces the expected crop growth before the seeds for the year have even been planted. If farmers then endure further droughts, the expected yield decreases again, and so on. As such, smallholders are deemed too unreliable and high-risk for buyers to enter into long-term contracts with. Farmers, therefore, shoulder the bulk of the risk of extreme weather conditions. If one farmer cannot provide the crops to the trader, they will lose out on any income, but it does not impact the trader. Who can just move on to the next farm? Olusola says that it would make a huge difference to farmers if they're able to share this risk more evenly along the supply chain. We cannot
0: alter price indiscriminately, and consumer behaviour to price changes is always at the back of our mind because the competition is very stiff. So it would be wonderful. It would help us if the value chain takes part of the risk along the line rather than the farmer alone bearing the cost. Definitely, it would make change. It would make an impact for us. Then we might have um, a little more to put in our pocket. But right now, you just find the farmers are bearing the cost, and yes, we would like to share this cost along the value chain.
1: But this is not just about providing security for farmers. More equitable risk sharing and investments at the farm level could reduce overall risk right along the supply chain and increase food production.
3: Smallholder farmers represent the bulk of agricultural production, uh, and this is particularly true in Africa smallholder farmers face a number of risks uh, like being exposed to pests and disease, weeds, or more and more weather variability. When very often uh, a drought hits, smallholder farmers, most of them are subsistence or semi-subsistence farmers, don't have enough to eat. And therefore, from the viewpoint of a supply chain, they are very risky, very risky stakeholders. Smallholder farmers, if they... Had access to very simple technologies, such as some improved seeds and a little fertilizer, they could double their production overnight with uh, very little technological input. However, to access these inputs, the smallholder farmers don't have don't have finance and uh, need to be financed by loans by the banking sector.
1: That was Eric Chavez, the principal investigator of the Winners project. For Eric, there is far too much risk placed on smallholder farmers and a lack of simple technology that can allow them to properly adapt to climate change. Because they hold so much of the risk, they're also unable to access finance, which compounds their problems.
3: On the one hand, access to finance is one of the principal hurdles that uh, keeps farmers in a low risk and low productivity cycle. And breaking that barrier of Low access to finance is one of the keys to unlocking agricultural production in Africa, and that that has been the focus and the entry point in the the marketplace is by the Winners Project.
1: So then, how can we begin to level the playing field for farmers in a world that is going to become more uncertain, where climate change will put further pressure on yields and make crop failures more likely? The Winners Project, supported by Climate Kick and trialled in Tanzania, has set out to do just that. WINNERS stands for Weather Index-Based Risk Services. And it is an initiative spearheaded by Imperial College London in partnership with the University of Reading, the University of Hamburg, Ecole Polytechnique and a number of other global institutions, insurance industry experts and food buyers. It emerged after Eric started to ask why existing efforts to reduce the risk of smallholder farmers had been less than successful.
3: I started uh, being involved in the Winners Project after interacting with several colleagues at Imperial College uh, in Paris and in the World Bank and uh, looking at the limitations that weather index insurance had uh, and has been struggling with over the past 10, 15 years, why weather index insurance hasn't upscaled, why it has remained something in developing countries that... Uh, goes from uh, small pilots to small pilots uh, across different countries, but never really achieving upscaling from tens of thousands to hundreds or millions of farmers across uh, developing countries or Africa, for instance.
1: Index-based insurance is an approach to managing weather and climate risk by providing insurance protection against losses in crop yield. The idea behind index-based insurance is that farmers buy low-cost insurance that pays out automatically once certain weather thresholds are crossed. So, once an area experiences five days of drought, for example, then the insurance company will automatically pay out to farmers in that area. This has the benefit of simplifying payouts and reducing the burden on farmers when claiming. But as Eric points out, it hasn't upscaled in accordance with technological developments and the growing agricultural industry. There have been relatively low uptake of index-based schemes and they still require farmers to be solely responsible for adaptation measures. So the big question for Eric was...
3: How do you get the buyer of a crop or a bank who is financing farmers to in fact have a real vested interest in having the farmers use the best technology, the best agricultural practices that allow them to withstand growing weather variability. The very fact that weather variability is increasing with climate change poses a threat to farmers, but also poses a threat to all the stakeholders of an agricultural value chain. Currently, the stakeholders don't have a means and don't actively invest in uh, having farmers adopt better technologies like drought-tolerant varieties or irrigation, for instance. And Therefore, the central objective of The winner's project is to design new financial instruments that align the incentives of all the stakeholders.
1: Eric and his team did have one strong advantage when embarking on their mission to help share climate risk more evenly along the food supply chain. that In reality, a risk to the farmer is a risk to every player in the chain.
3: The agricultural industry, from retailers to manufacturers, are quite exposed to weather variability. So uh, typically a a manufacturer or a retailer loses every year around 2, 3, 4% of their annual revenue because of supply chain disruptions, most
1: of them caused by weather. This trend is one that is likely to increase in the future, and food companies that rely on climate-sensitive crops, from coffee to cocoa and from rice to wheat, are waking up to the fact that if farmers are unable to cope with climate instability, their supply lines face ever-increasing disruption. And the science suggests that food companies are right to be concerned. Climate change poses considerable threats to global supply chains, and extreme weather events are already a significant cost for businesses. A report from the British Standards Institute BSI, found that in 2015, the top five extreme weather events collectively caused $33 billion in damage to businesses and their supply chains, from forest fires in Indonesia, $16 billion, to floods in the US, $5 billion. The global, highly interdependent nature of supply chains also means that climate impacts experienced in one country can have implications for the operations of companies around the world. The agricultural supply chain is especially susceptible, for several reasons. First of all, as we've heard, growing food is highly weather-dependent. Secondly, certain crops, such as coffee or cocoa, can only be grown in certain locations, limiting potential to move production and thirdly, produce is expected to be delivered fresh to the consumer, meaning that supply chains are designed to move produce quickly from the farm to shelf, operating on a just-in-time model. This makes them more susceptible to disruption. The outlook for the farming industry is concerning. According to the World Bank, global warming by 1.5 to 2 degrees C could lead to a 40 to 80% reduction in the present maize, millet and sorghum cropping areas in, in Africa. Indeed, Model simulations estimate that in sub-Saharan Africa alone, maize yield could decline by an average of 22% by 2050, whilst wheat yields risk being depleted by 35% by mid-century. Climate change will affect different crops in different ways, and there will be some growing areas which may see yields rise for certain crops. However, the overall impact on global food production from climate change is likely to be negative. According to a 2011 National Academy of Sciences report for every degree Celsius that the global thermostat rises there will be a 5 to 15 percent decrease in overall crop production. Christoph Walter feels that there are signs that the impacts will be towards the more severe end of current projections. The impacts of climate change in some areas
2: will be a lot bigger than we can currently anticipate. Uh, And they will be a lot more complex because they involve the supporting ecosystems. They involve pests and diseases which haven't been previously recorded in in particular areas. They may impact the ecology of these pests and diseases. For example, um, uh, soy beetles propagate much more quickly under high CO2 conditions and warmer climate than they do currently. So all of a sudden we have several
1: generations of a pest that previously only had one or two. So... As the severity of the risks may be higher than thought, it is even more urgent to be able to identify the scale of the risks to agricultural production to better understand the exposure of organisations right along the food value chain. Eric Chavez says that this quantification of risk is the starting point for the Winners Project.
3: The first step is to quantify the risk. And that's the main bottleneck that uh, the Winners Project addresses quantifying the risk of uh, crop loss in any number of geographies and for any number of crops and subject to different adaptation scenarios. So this is the core of the technological innovation that the Winners Project engaged in. And through the risk estimation uh, technology that the Winners Project developed, the scientific and technological development of the solution that was developed by Winners that uh, implied Bringing together a lot of different expertises ranging from climate science, weather, uh, meteorology, remote sensing, to economics, finance and agricultural science.
1: Coordinated by a team at the University of Hamburg and the University of Reading, this daunting challenge saw the winners team develop a model that harvests weather and climate data and then create crop modelling simulations to inform risk scenarios. This modelling technology is able to measure the risk exposure that retailers, buyers, banks and smallholder farmers are likely to face with climate change. Importantly, it's able to assess risks at resolutions of as high as 5 by 5 kilometres, essential for assessing risk at the farm level. This model created the foundation for the second element of winners, insurance contracts between different parts of the supply chain.
3: The second component of the project was implementing this on the ground and introducing the solution, it allowed to engage with different stakeholders of uh, large magnitudes that source large quantities of agricultural materials to devise contracts and uh, financial risk-sharing instruments that enable to address their business
1: needs. This sets winners apart from past efforts to reduce risks faced by smallholders through microinsurance. The Department of Finance at Imperial College Business School and the Department of Economics at Ecole Polytechnique designed innovative new insurance contracts which acknowledge the terms by which insurance payouts are to be distributed, outline incentives to each actor for establishing long-term relationships across the supply chain, stretching right from the smallholder farmer to the buyer to the end manufacturer, and establish long-term relationships between policyholders and members of the supply chain. This disincentivizes traders from simply switching to other suppliers and instead makes sure that the risks of extreme events are shared more evenly across the supply chain. The farmers are protected through guaranteed markets for their products and debt relief or payouts if their production is drastically affected by weather. Importantly, this has removed one of the main barriers to the uptake of index-based insurance schemes. Smallholders are not envisioned as the insurance policyholders With the winners' project, larger and more established entities such as cooperatives, banks, or food buyers will be the insurance policy holders. The project has had some significant success. The project is being trialled in Tanzania and is targeting a quarter of a million smallholder farmers.
3: We have implemented the technology in in Tanzania and uh, we are now engaged in upscaling these from uh, tens of thousands to possibly hundreds of thousands. smallholder farmers in Tanzania. What is coming up next is uh, the expansion of this technology across several other countries. So we are working closely with uh, different donor agencies that have now established a good working relationship with uh, ourselves and Climate Kick. And we are looking to expand the reach of this technology in other countries, such as uh, Ghana, Uganda, and other countries in uh, in southern
1: and East Africa. If it takes hold, the potential impact of winners could be very significant. Imperial College London estimates that the project will contribute 2% to the Tanzanian GDP, just from the increase in maize production alone. The positive impact would be magnified considerably by the increase in production of additional crops, and Imperial College London academics conservatively estimate that the introduction of winners could increase maize yields in developing economies threefold. On that basis, were winners to be rolled out across East Africa, the GDP impact of the rise in maize yields would be an increase of as much as 8.6%, contributing more than $24.6 billion to the East African economy. There's a long way to go before the project is able to realise the scale of the impact, but Eric is already encouraged by the difference that it's making to the lives of farmers in Tanzania.
3: The biggest success is uh, observing that farmers who lose their crops because of the drought are actually receiving payouts, and they, that these payouts are actually refunding the loans that they access to buy better inputs, and so they don't have to repay the loans themselves, and therefore they are not blacklisted by the banking system and are eligible to take a loan the, the next crop season.
1: Adapting to climate change can take many forms, but almost all strategies and approaches will require some sort of financial investment in the beginning. The Winners Project demonstrates clearly that sometimes those that bear the lion's share of the risk are also often those that are least able to invest in adaptation and resilience building. Understanding and acknowledging the landscape of climate risk and how it is distributed is an important step in designing measures that can correct the imbalances of power and agency and protecting the most vulnerable. In this case, It's clear that smallholder farmers require support in order to continue to meet the ever-increasing demand for food in a world where climate change makes growing conditions less certain. Sharing risk helps to provide the reassurance farmers need in order to be able to invest in their businesses without the fear of losing everything. This safety net then provides the foundation for higher productivity, reducing risks right along the supply chain and benefiting everyone. Sometimes it really is good to share. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and indeed the first series of This New Climate. If you did, then please share the love and pass it on to someone who you might like it. We'd love to hear your feedback and ideas for season two, if you want it. Please do get in touch with us over on Twitter at This New Climate and head over to www.acclimatise.uk.com forward slash This New Climate to learn more about this and all the other episodes in the series. A big thank you to our guests Eric Chavez from Imperial College London, Christoph Walter of Christoph Walter Associates, and Olasola Soemimo from Ope Farms. And also to our Climate Kit coordinators for this episode. Fabrizio Rossi and Ellie Tonks. Content for this episode was derived in part from a series of Innovation Insight Notes, coordinated by Ellie Tonks and Gina Lovett for Climate Kick. This episode was produced by Acclimatise and EIT Climate Kick and was hosted by me, Will Bugler. Background research and narrative development was by Georgina Wade and Will Bugler and editing was by Lower Street. Thanks for listening.